0: good number of people present this morning. And we're glad you're here. As Anieti was talking about, it is a new year. We are very fortunate to be alive. We're fortunate to be here. And if you're a member of the church, you are fortunate to be a member of the church as well. And uh, we're glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you and we hope you'll want to come back and be with us at every opportunity. And you might see a visitor's card just in front of you on the back of the pew that's just in front of you. And we'd appreciate you filling that out for us. I uh, when I got up here, you know, you get used to things, and then when something is different, you know it's different, but you're trying to figure out what it is. You know, and then I looked above me, and there is a light up there that has not been here, but it's a welcome sight for sight. It's a welcome sight for these uh, old eyes. But anyway, I appreciate whoever did that, and uh, thank you for putting that light in. We are going to begin a new series. A new theme, Wes announced it, it's been announced by several people. We are going to talk this year about being holy. And our theme verse, we're going to take from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, which says, be holy for I am holy. More particularly, and I'm not going to really talk about that this morning, if I were to translate what I believe it is literally, and I will talk more about that, You shall be holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1 and verse 16. So we're going to talk about that this year. We're going to talk about holiness. (coughs) Excuse me, if I get one good cough, I might be alright. But we're going to talk about holiness. We're going to look at it from different aspects. I'll mention at the end of the, the sermon. We're going to try to make this, in many respects, a very practical theme. And one that hopefully... And Wes and I have talked about this, and I will just tell you up front. I don't intend, I mean, we could approach this, and I could approach this from the standpoint of, let me tell you how, you know, what you should do, everything about your life that you need to change in order for you to be holy. And I'm not going to approach it that way. We're going to look at what holiness is. We're going to talk about why God would say, and I will say it like this to you, Why God would say, number one, you are holy, and number two, that is what, as a faithful Christian, you shall be. And we're going to talk about that, and from a very practical point of view, we're going to ask ourselves some serious questions, and hopefully as we probe, you know, take an introspective look. Look within myself, ask myself those serious questions, it will prompt me to, in turn, be holy, and as Ed read for us in the passage in Isaiah 2, a matter of fact, open to Isaiah 2, and I'll get there in just a moment, but to join the Lord on his holy mountain, to be holy, for God is indeed holy. Let's start by going back, as I said I would a couple of weeks ago, let's go back to this old picture. Now, those of you that have been around for a while, you know that a couple of years ago, our theme was the man in the mirror. And as I put up this picture that I like a lot, (laughs) obviously, but as I put up this picture, it represents the idea of me taking a look at myself, sometimes literally in a mirror, because I do that, and I ask myself questions, and as the image of who I am and what I am becomes clearer as it faces me, I realize, as we went through that theme, that I am that man in the mirror. I'm the man in the mirror that needs to make the changes I need to make. And as we talked about throughout this last year, I am that man in the mirror with purpose to fulfill, whether that is in my church, or in my family, or in my work, or even in my play, my recreation, I have purpose to fulfill. I am that man in the mirror. I certainly have purpose in life. But a greater question in many respects, no matter what I'm talking about as I look at myself and as that image becomes clear, I need to ask myself, but am I holy? What is holiness? And am I really a holy person? Because, as our theme verse says, if I can get it to come up, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So I'm looking at myself, and I've got a clear picture of who I am. I've got a clear picture of what it is that I think I'm supposed to be doing. But am I really holy? Do my thoughts and my intentions, my aspirations, do they focus on merely on this world and my place in it or is there a higher picture do i have that for myself and thus as we would all think of holy or something holy we think in terms of what is higher than we are and certainly higher than the the base things of this earth so am i holy let's go a little further with that you shall be holy for i am holy but let's stop for a moment. We quote that. We talk about that. We probably hear that term in some fashion several times a week. We just sang a song, and it was a beautiful song to introduce this, this whole theme. And certainly this lesson this morning, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. But the truth is, do I really know what the word holy means? I mean, what does it mean to be holy? Holy, exactly what does it mean? I may use that in a number of different ways. When we were, Montel and I were in college, and Montel would know, you know, close friend, best friend of mine down there, and he had this phrase, he went around saying all the time, holy Ike. And I don't know where that came from. If he heard it from somebody that, you know, back in the Eisenhower days, uh, parents, you know, back in the eye I don't know. But holy eye. It's a term we probably here, there used to be a popular you know slang phrase "Holy cow," you know, and now people say a lot of other things. but the idea of "holy, what does it really mean? And so, as you begin to focus on the word "holy," you can go and get a proper definition now, I'm going to give you a combination definition, both from Webster's dictionary and from a lexicon looking at the word in the original language. But this is what you would find the word literally means. It means to be set apart. It means to be sacred in that sense. Something set set apart either by God or set apart for God. You'll notice that on the second line there beginning properly, if we look back at the word in the original language before even, it was a spiritual or religious term. It just simply meant something different. Something that was unique or unlike other things. And so if you were talking about an item that was just really special, or if you were talking about even a person who was really different, and not so much in the sense of odd, but different in the sense of being just a little bit better. You know, we we talk about certain athletes that are the best and great at what they do and Other skilled artists and so forth that are really good. And they're set apart. They're just different. They're different or unlike others. And it has an implication then, when you are so good at something, you can see how this transition, an implication of being godlike. Because God is the best at everything that is good. And so being godlike or certainly More like God so that you are different from just the ordinary are different from the world. And thus it becomes something venerated that you honor is the idea. You look up to. You even revere it in that sense. It also is something then that is distinctly, and I'm going to focus on this idea several times during this year. Something that is distinctly identified with God. And so you get words, and these would be cognates of the word holy, you get words like holiness, surely, but saint. You know, the saints at Ephesus, the saints at Corinth. Literally, the holy ones in those places. Words like sanctify, and sanctified, and sanctification, and all of that. The idea of something that is identified with God in a unique way. Something that is set apart. You know, the Holy Spirit in First Corinthians 12 sets us apart, sanctifies us into the body of Christ. And on and on and on we could go with that. Many verses, and a lot of which we will cover during the year. But these terms, this idea, well, that's what it means to be holy. So I go back to the previous slide, and I won't do that literally, but think back to it. There I am, standing and facing the reflection of myself, and I'm asking that question. Am I that? Am I holy? Am I distinctly identified with God? Do I live a life that would be venerated? Now, not to be put up on a pedestal, not to be worshiped as God is worshiped, but respected. Do I live that kind of life? Do I live a life that is different? That's unlike the masses? Would I be considered a person who is holy, set apart, in any way? Do people look at me as, well, you know, with respect to whatever it is. And we could talk about honesty, or we could talk about honor, or we could talk about love, or we could talk about kindness, or anything that is of God. Do people look at me like giving? Anieti making the point a moment ago. Do do people look at me as that there's something special about me? That there's something more than the ordinary? Do people see that? If they do, then at least in that respect, I'm holy. As God would consider holiness. We'll go a little further. God's people are told to be, or... As I'll emphasize later, become holy. You shall be. Future tense. You shall be holy. But it's an imperative there. It is something that God is commanding. You be holy. You shall become holy. It's like you telling your child, you will do so (laughs) and so. But God is saying, you shall become holy. For I am holy. And you know, as you look at passages, and let's go, I hope you're open there. Let's go back to Isaiah 2 that dead read for us. And I'm not going to reread it all. But notice in these verses, and something that we will emphasize, especially in this first quarter, there is the idea of God is up there. If we go back to ancient times and we look at how man viewed God, he certainly viewed God as up there. And the idea was, and I want you to notice the subtle difference here, maybe not so subtle. But the idea was, I must go up to meet God. That's changed. It began to change some time back. Some would say 1800s especially. Some would go all the way back to the 1700s. But certainly by the 1900s, In the mindset, generally speaking, of religious people, it was no longer let us go up to meet God before God is so high and holy. It was the idea of let's bring God down to where we are. God is identified with me. And He is. And when we talk about Jesus, we talk about a very personal identification with God. But if we lose the sense, If we don't see God as high and holy, that song that Edward just led that we sang, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. When we look at that God over all, God blessed eternally. When you see this passage, you see a mountain of the Lord's people And those who would come to the Lord go up the mountain. And thus, if you think about it, figuratively, they leave the valley of the masses below. Look at this passage again. It will come to pass in the last days. No question, Isaiah is talking about our time. Talking about the church here. And I'll be glad to study that with you, but I'm sure most of you are well aware that that is a phrase that immediately signifies to you, oh, we're talking about day of Pentecost and after. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established, notice, in the top of the mountains. What does that say? As high as you can get. And that's where the church ought to be. It ought to be high. Now, a person says, well, so what you're talking about is holier than thou. yeah. In a sense. Not in a sense that I stand up here and I think because I'm a little higher than you guys are, you know, I'm standing up here, and I'm looking down on you, I'm holier than that. Not in that sense. But in the sense of meeting God who is high and holy, yes. Bringing my best. Looking my best. Being my best. Talking my best. If I knew that I had an audience with Jesus at 1 o'clock, Literally. How would I go? Would I walk in there slovenly, slap my arm around Jesus, pat Him on the back, say, hey, dude, glad you could come to me. Or would I go in with respect, even fear and reverence? Am I I good enough to stand in your presence? Man what you've done. Man who you are. That's the idea here in this passage. Notice as it goes on in verse 2 to say, the mountain of the Lord's house, the church, us, will be exalted above the hills and all nations will flow into it. And we'll talk about that. But it is the idea of attracting people to come up the mountain with you because you have gone up the mountain. Not, let me come down into the valley And wallow around with you where you are so you will feel good about being with me. That's not the idea of God telling me to be the salt, be the light, let the world see the good works in my life so people will be attracted to it. And glorify God. You see, this is an idea of people being holy. And their lives change. And I won't go on and explore all of that now. We will look at things about this passage and many others. But notice, their lives change because of that. They take their plowshares and their swords and they change them. It's a different life. We talked about downstairs, and I will just briefly mention this. We talked about downstairs. I go back to an incident, and i talked to you about it before. An incident that changed my life, and thank God it did. But all of that stupidity that I was out there doing, and when I was 15, all of that stupidity came to a head, and I nearly killed somebody. And I thank God I didn't kill someone. But the point is, you look at all of that, and you say, things have to change. Are you going to be in prison, just like two of your cousins are. And you're going to spend the rest of your life there. Things have to change. You've got to be different. And so God pointed me in the direction of some Christians and they were willing to teach me and I came to understand the way of holiness that we'll talk about this year and what a different life that is. God's people should be whole. And yet, typically, The Lord's people tend toward not being holy. I want you to turn a few pages over and go with me to the book of Hosea. If you're in Isaiah, you will go through Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, of course, Lamentations. You'll get to the first of the minor prophets, Hosea, minor as they're called. And I want you to look down with me at Hosea chapter 4. Now this is God addressing His people. And this is where we typically tend to be. And I want you to understand that as we read this, we're going to conclude with a section where God basically says, you know, I've blessed you and everything's going great for you. You're prospering. You're doing well. But this is where you tend to go with all that prosperity. Look with me at verse 1 beginning in Hosea 4. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy i got something against you, is the idea, with the inhabitants of the land. Because there's no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing, and lying, and killing, and stealing, and committing adultery, they break out. Sin breaks out. They run forth, is the idea. They run wild. And blood touches blood. And therefore shall the land mourn. And everyone that dwells therein shall languish with the beast of the field and with the fowls of the heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to punish the land because of this. Yet let no man strive, verse 4, nor reprove another. For thy people are as they that strive with the priest. Therefore shalt thou fall in the day. And the prophet will also fall with you in the night. And I will destroy your mother. Now, if you look at the background to all of this, this is why he's saying that. Because the priest and the prophet basically give the people what they want to hear. And what the people want to hear is, sure, go out and be like everybody else. It's okay with God. And it's not okay. So, verse 5, therefore shall they fall in the day. The prophet will fall, and I will destroy the mother. My people, verse 6, and you'll notice this verse. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge. Not because it's not there. You just don't want it, is the idea. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. But thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. Now notice verse 7. Is it that everything was so bad and all the suffering, you know? And that's what you generally hear. You know, it's... It's because people are so poor. Because they don't have enough. And we will hear politicians say this all year long. If people had more, they would be better. And yet what God says in verse 7 is, as they were increased, as they multiplied, as everything became better and better and better, so they sinned against me. And we've seen that, haven't we? How religious did people get when those planes hit? whichever direction it is, when those planes hit the World Trade Center. When things are bad, when somebody gets sick, when someone's dying, when your child is in trouble, we get religious. We turn to God. But when things are great, we turn away from Him and play. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. They, sat up, or they eat up rather the sin of my people, and they set their heart on their iniquity. And there shall be like people, like priests. And I will punish them for their ways, and reward them their doings. And like I said, that could be the emphasis. Wes and I could stand up here and we could talk about the essence of this passage. We could go back to verse 2 and we could tear all of that down, and we could talk about the swearing and the lying and the stealing and the adultery and so forth, but that's not going to be our emphasis this year. We will mention it, as this passage does, but it's a reality. And good people have recognized that even though God says, be holy, that we tend to not be. And I don't think there's anything astounding about that. We are human beings, and so do we tend to be. Up on top of the mountain, as holy as we can possibly be, or not so much? And I think we all know the answer. And so good people have recognized that. And there have been notable attempts. And there have been a lot of them, but I'm going to single out four of them because of some of the principles and the, thing, the philosophies behind them that I happen to think are good. And I'll talk about those and talk about why. Now, when I put the list up here you're going to be going, whoa, wait a minute, (laughs) you know. Don't misunderstand. It's not where all of those things went to eventually, but it was the philosophies behind them, and that's what I'm going to touch upon. So there have been notable attempts to bring God's people up to his standard of holiness. And when we begin to look at some of those, we see the Pharisees. And again, immediately you might say, Pharisees? You're telling us to be a bunch of Pharisees? No But the philosophies that started the movement, the group of the Pharisees, were good. And there were even remnants of good Pharisees in Jesus' day. Don't forget Nicodemus was a Pharisee. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. Most of them had long since ceased to be where they started, is the point. Another notable attempt is the Amish. Now, we have a lot of Amish around here, especially, and a lot of you have gone over to, you know, Pennsylvania, Lancaster area, all of that. So, you know, when I say Amish, you know what I mean by Amish. The Amish. And again, are you telling me, give up my car, my motorcycle? You know, (laughs) get in a horse and buggy. No. Please don't leave here and say, Michael said, car's got to go. I'm driving mine, okay? So, no. But the philosophies. Why the movement started in the first place. Have you ever wondered that? Where did that come from? We're going to look at some of that. You may not be familiar with this one. The Wesley's, and I'm not talking about West back there now. The Wesley's Holy Club. And again, go back 18th century. And we're looking at a group of people within the Anglican Church. A group of college age people. John and Charles Wesley in particular being leaders of that. And starting something that they called the Holy Club and something that was ridiculed and called by others Methodism. And so the Methodists eventually come from that. And I'm going to talk about where it went to, but the philosophy behind John and Charles and their Holy Club. And finally, in more modern times, and I know some of you in this room are familiar with this, very familiar with it. The Crossroads Movement, Crossroads Church of Christ down in Florida. When Montel and I were going to school, this was in full swing, and so everybody was talking about it. And eventually in the 80s, that became what's known as the Boston Church Movement, and some people still refer to it as the Boston Church. And if you say that to some people, they'll be, oh yeah, I know what all that is. And if you're not familiar with that, that then in the 90s became The International Churches of Christ, or shortened to ICC. Now, do I want East Orange Church of Christ to become one of the International Churches of Christ? Absolutely not. Okay. But the philosophies behind the Crossroads Movement, we're going to take a look at that. What I'm saying is in all of these things, These resulted, and a number of others, these will be the four I single out, but a number of others were notable attempts to bring God's people up to a standard of holiness. In each case, that was the goal. The idea to restore, and notice the way I'll say it here, to restore a personal, that is individual, me, you, a personal, holy relationship with God. unfortunately, The natural and usually realized danger of these four movements and any other like it is to tend toward legalism and ritualism. That is now no longer that striving for a personal holy relationship where you as a priest of God, you worship God, you have a religious daily service to God. No longer that, but to more a list of rules. That we're going to go by. In many cases, eventually codified into a creed. And this is who we are and this is what we do. Obviously, those are abuses. Obviously, that is a natural result of things like this. So we don't want to do that. So it makes it very difficult. If I'm going to stand up here and talk about the same philosophies and say we need a personal, holy relationship with God, and practically speaking, here are some suggestions and ideas of how to reach that, we've got to always keep in mind, here's the natural danger. And we're not going there. I'm not going there. And I don't want you to go there. So, it's walking a fine line. And we will walk that line. We will look at some of those things. We don't want to ignore the fact that we need a personal, holy relationship with God. But neither do we want to engage in the, in the danger. So let me wrap up very quickly. You shall be holy, or I am holy. And we'll emphasize four areas this year in each quarter. And the idea is be holy in my relationship, especially with God are we talking about. Accepting God's call to come to Him or come up to Him is the idea. Then we'll talk about be holy in my weakness. Because we will acknowledge our personal separation from God. And I will certainly talk about mine. But then we also want to acknowledge my strength, your strength. So be holy in my strength as we walk the highway of holiness daily. And finally, we will talk about being holy in my worship. Worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And we will look at various passages that have to do with that. Are you here this morning? You're the man in the mirror. You've looked at yourself and considered, you contemplated. I know who I am. I know what I should be doing. Am I holy? Maybe I'm not. Maybe I've never responded to God's call. Maybe I've never been set aside by God as one of His people, because I've never confessed my belief in Jesus. I do believe in Him, but I've never made that confession, or that commitment to repent, to change my life. But today I want to do that, be baptized. And become a child of God. A saint. A holy individual. Maybe you're here today and you've been baptized and you say, am I holy? No. No, I, I don't live a holy life. But I, I want to I do that. I want to change my life. It's the first Sunday of 2016. No better time to say, today I start changing. Are you here today and you need to come? Please come. While we stand this day.